Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. This is the only podcast where two brothers talk about a thing they love, and that thing is comic books. I'm one of the two brothers slash comic book fans slash kind of comedians, Kevin Hines. And I'm the other one of all those things and less, Will Hines. What did you think about that pause I put before I said my name? I thought it was dramatic. I was like, wow. Yeah. I hope you don't remove it in editing, but I, I thought it was nice. That was a nice pause. Hey, don't try to give me notes, okay? I'm the editor. <laughs> if I want to take it out, it's I'm taking it out. I mean, I won't know. I don't re-listen to our podcasts very often, so I'll find out like a year and a half later when I arbitrarily pick this to re-listen to. And I won't remember that this is the one I had the amazing dramatic pause in. <laughs> I'm going to leave um, it in. I'm going to leave it in. Great, great. Uh, this is our second episode of our little mini-season we're calling Marvel Firsts, Will, mm -hmm. where we are covering the first issues of sort of the the first Marvel heroes, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Hulk. T today, we're going to be talking about Ant-Man, the Wasp, and Thor. Mm -hmm. um, we'll also be talking about Doctor Strange and Iron Man and the X-Men and the Avengers. I think that's all of them. I might have missed somebody, but uh, those are the ones we'll be talking about in. in yeah, I'm not few, sure if you say Daredevil, but yeah, oh, and yeah. Daredevil. That's right. Um, so this and, is sort of those the earliest Marvel comic book heroes. Um, we had talked about the Spider-Man, Hulk, and FF issues when we covered those early comics, but we re-talked about them last week. But this week we're talking about new to the podcast and maybe new to us uh, issues. I had read the Thor one, but I definitely had not read the Ant-Man ones. That is uh, the same for me. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited to talk about them because these <laughs> comics are nuts. <laughs> they're, they're both pretty. Then I, The Thor one was sillier than I remembered. The Ant-Man ones are crazy. Thor is silly, but it's, I think it's still pretty good. And it's like, pretty good. It's and silly. Like, it's it's clearly not the cool Thor that he becomes cool Thor that he becomes later. But the Ant-Man ones are so crazy and I kind of love them for it. I know they go they go so far into nuts land that I'm like, I love that this is the number two Marvel hero. Yeah, the, the second hero created. So crazy. Um, uh, and a founding Avenger. And so just, great. And such a big part of the MCU and like and really yeah. still Marvel Comics today and definitely for everything we've read, the shakiest foundation. <laughs> it's yeah. it's really just right place, right time for this character. Like if yeah. you weren't if you weren't created in 1962, you're not getting remembered. You know, like <laughs> good for him. Good for him. I am uh, good for him. Uh, I'm pro Hank Pym. Um, but yeah, that'll be a little bit later. Um, first, do we have to do? Do we have segments? Do we have things to talk about? I have a, I have a, yeah, I've, I have a brief Did one. Did you read another Alan Moore book? I read 10 more Alan Moore novels and I want Great. to talk about them all. Mm -hmm. uh, no, um, I don't have a big comic book one, uh, I, but I've been reading uh, sort of, th this is very vaguely adjacent to just like stuff we talk about, but I'm reading Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. The, the novelization that he wrote about his own movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just in case people don't know this, there's there's the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where Leonardo DiCaprio plays kind of a down on his luck TV star and Brad Pitt's his stuntman. And yeah. they sort of cross paths with the Manson family. And it's sort of like love letter to 1960s Hollywood. Uh, I enjoyed that movie. 
no- nothing super special for me, but I definitely really enjoyed it. I've watched it twice. I like all the Tarantino. I haven't seen that one yet, uh, but I loved. I've liked every Tarantino film, even the Hateful Eight, which people, some people, think was bad. I loved it, so I, I've liked them all. They're just good. They're well-made movies. Yeah. Um, hot take: Quentin Tarantino yeah, makes good movies, right. but uh, there are people who don't like Tarantino. Um, I think sure. That. I mean, there's things not to like about them, but I and there, there also there's the things that people don't like about them often are things I don't like in movies. Like they're a little too violent. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, language. Uh, it's just so excessive and 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 but at the same time I'm like that's so well done I don't care with these movies. Yeah, anyway. uh, I, I'm a I'm a big fan, but uh, Quentin Tarantino wrote a novelization of his own movie, uh, and I'm using that word because in the 1980s novelization was like a thing where like a big mm-hmm. movie would come out and then somebody would be hired to write the book version after the movie had come out or maybe like concurrent with the movie's production somebody would yeah. be given a script and told to write a novel version yeah and the novelizations usually included scenes that were cut from the film because they didn't know that when they were writing the book what how the finished cut would come so you'd often see like earlier drafts yeah like i remember reading i read them when i was a kid i read the novelization of et for example and i really mm-hmm. enjoyed that novelization and there's things in that book that are not in the movie um and so it was kind of like a thing happened sure. for a while i read i read the novelization of willow i thought it was better than the movie sure but it was yeah. a novelization it was not a movie based on a fantasy book it was a fantasy book written for a movie yeah and uh and sometimes there's weird cases like 2001 a space odyssey was conceived of as a movie first and then written as a book but it was the screenwriter did both of them and i think he did them concurrently so that's a little bit different than a novelization yeah, sure. but um uh, but I, I'm I I wasn't so interested in reading Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It sounded like an ego kind of vanity thing where Tarantino just wanted to talk a lot more uh, about his book. But my but friend of the podcast Ben Rogers and brother of the podcast Brian Hines they both recommended it and I read it and it's great. Uh, I like it better than the movie and I enjoyed the movie. It's not a knock on the movie, but the book is really fun. Um, and uh, I don't know if if anybody out there enjoyed the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think I recommend this book. Uh, it's easy to read. Do you recommend that order? Watch the movie, then read the book? I do. I do. Uh, yes. Re- watch the movie first and then read the book. I think okay. that's, that's better. But uh, there's just way more details about 1960s Hollywood life in the book in a fun way. Uh, and the characters in the book are talking shop a lot about like movies and actors and TV shows. And I think almost all of the specifics are real, uh, except for the specific ones about Leonardo DiCaprio's character or Brad Pitt's character. Uh, like Leonardo DiCaprio is a fictional actor. Uh, most of the shows that he is cited as having appeared on are fictional. But um they sit. They talk stuff about like Steve McQueen and like other actors and stuff. And it was I don't know. I really and I'm not necessarily so into that, but I, mm-hmm. I really am digging this book. So I think that's interesting. Maybe we should write a novelization of this podcast. Um. Yeah, I think that. I mean, there's a good narrative going on with this podcast. <laughs> I think it would make sense. Yeah. Chapter one, nonplussed. <laughs> uh, uh, chapter two, uh, Emma Stone. <laughs> Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics written and drawn by Steve Ditko. <laughs> Everything in her book would be incorrect and inaccurate. 
And then just uh, like an epilogue, we'd like to make the following retractions. <laughs> Everything written in this book we have since learned is wrong. Oh, I also watched the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, which I had not seen. Uh, we had talked very briefly about it um, because I had seen it, but I don't want to spoil it for you. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was really just a happy, fun thing. I, you know, I, I think that's a great use of Disney Plus to do those kind of specials. Yeah, these one-off specials are really cool. Um, the, the the man, well, where not man thing, werewolf by night, and now this are both really great. Um, and I think they're going to do more of these because I think they are so popular. I again, I don't understand them from a business standpoint. Yeah, I don't understand how they help Disney Plus. Uh, but they they're helping Will Hines Plus just yeah for me I to like, enjoy the world. I enjoy watching them, so I guess I get it. I just I can't imagine. A special getting somebody to sign. I mean, I guess it's half a movie and a movie might get someone to sign. I don't think movies. I don't. Here's another thing. I don't think original movies made directly for streaming services make sense either. Okay. Unless it's like a huge deal. But even then, I feel like people, if if like, let's say Quentin Tarantino made a deal with Netflix. To make a like movie. My, my next three movies are going to all be on Netflix only, not in theaters. I hate screens to sign Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> um I want all digital and yeah. small screens. That's right. Um, he's a huge director. Like, you know, if, if here, like if that happened, like I think people would sign up maybe when his movies came out and then cancel after that, if that's the reason they're signing up for. But yeah. if you were excited about Stranger Things and it wasn't, and it was released week to week or even not, like it's 10 hours, you've got to subscribe for like a couple months probably to get through most people if you're not binging it over one weekend. Right. Um, for the networks, for the streamers that release things week to week, you you either have to wait till it's finished or you are, you know, subscribing for a little brief period at the least. And if they constantly are making shows that you like or often enough, you just stay subscribed. But for movies, it's like, oh, you got to keep making good movies that interest me. Um, That's hard. That'd yeah. be hard to keep me attached. I mean, I guess that's happened, right? Like Netflix had The Irishman. By Scorsese, that was a big media event. That's sure, but how many movies have they had that are big hits that would make people be like, oh, I want to see that? You've got to have like many. eight a year, I would think, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That are only uh, on Netflix. Right. And so I just think it's, I think it doesn't make sense to me. I'm going to uh, send a letter to Bob but, Iger and okay. tell him that we think he's off base. I think he's making a huge mistake. Please keep doing it. We enjoyed them. We're big yeah, fans. You're making a huge mistake. Keep it up. <laughs> yeah, we Signed like the milk sops. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, I don't know. They're, they're very weird to me. Do you have any um, um, any things you want to talk about in that regard? Any of the non? Uh, there's a new Ant Man trailer. I'm still excited about that movie. I think it'll be fun. Okay, I haven't. I might seen it see yet. it. I might see it in theaters. Hmm. And that's a that's a big that's a big to do for you. Yeah. I might Cause not because you, you have this quote unquote son. Yeah, I just don't go to the theaters very often um i only saw world or not world of wakanda wakanda for i keep wanting to call it world of wakanda <laughs> i think there's a comic book with that name i uh, i only saw wakanda forever because uh our, our friend porter mason had a birthday party movie watching birthday thing where he's like hey for my birthday we're gonna go see this movie you want to go and i was like oh yeah i do want to see that movie and see you that's a perfect combo that <laughs> yeah uh he's he's okay guy um <laughs> You saw World so, Reporter. But like that movie had been out for months. And I was like, oh, I want to see that. And I kept waiting for it to show up in Disney Plus. I was like, I guess not quite enough to go to theaters to see it. So 
I need to be excited about it. And I am excited about Ant-Man. It's written by um, Jeff uh, Loveness. Jeff Loveness, who I think is uh, very Rick and funny. Morty guy. Yeah. Rick and Morty. I think he's funny. He's written a few comics. I think he's a good comic book writer. I think the script is going to be great. Um, so, you know, and Paul Rudd is, I don't know if you've, you agree with this all. I think Paul Rudd is a likable actor. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that's, that's a, that's a great combo right there. So I, I, yeah. I think it'll be fun. I, I love Paul Rudd. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've enjoyed the, I didn't we're, see Ant-Man We're two of the, the few people who like Paul Rudd. I know because he's a real divisive guy. You know, yeah, he he right. turns crowds against. He turns the the crowds go against him. Well, we're talking about Ant Man today. I mean, you know, we're going to get oh, into yeah. the origins more, of his character. I'm more today. into Ant Man. Well, a different Ant Man, but still, but the but the character. Sure, sure, sure. Is born the hair I'm more into Ant Man than ever. <laughs> I'm not um, kidding. I love these stories, and they're crazy. Okay, I can't wait to talk about them. Um, should we do that before the break? We should do. We don't Ant-Man have anything else to the... talk about. I think we should. Well, yeah, we should start at least. Okay, let's get into it. Um, all right, so we're going to officially begin our our Marvel firsts portion of this episode. We're going to be talking about Tales to Astonish issue twenty seven, and then what forty four, and then thirty five. And we we only announced we were going to do twenty seven, but after reading twenty seven. Ant Man's, it's not really an origin story. So then we, I was like, well, we should do the first one with Wasp, which is forty four. But then after reading twenty seven, I was like, we gotta also just do the the next Ant Man story, which was like a year later. Okay, yeah. So issue thirty five. So we're gonna do twenty seven, thirty five, and forty four. Okay, I don't yeah. know how in depth we'll go. Super in depth. They're gonna be like an hour and a half per each. Issue. I mean, I could <laughs> uh, because so, like. 30, well, we'll talk about it as we go, but 35 is like the real, that's the superhero Ant-Man. 27 so, is just Hank Pym, guy who shrank once. Let me give the screw it version of what the context is here, meaning like mostly correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These so, three characters were uh, Steve Ditko's child. Right. <laughs> gave birth. Uh, yeah, go ahead. So we're going to read an issue of Tales to Astonish, which was... Marvel had a couple, and they weren't even called Marvel Comics yet. They were still probably timely, but um, I think maybe uh, Atlas. Oh yeah, Atlas. See, I'm already wrong. But yeah, like, I mean, but they, they changed had, a lot. The company that either was had just become Marvel or was about to become Marvel. Um, there is a little MC there on the cover. I'm looking, but uh, they they would do these anthology comics, which were like would have like two to five short little stories that were kind of twilight zone horror mm-hmm. slash fantasy with usually with a twist ending. Uh, and this was one of them tales to astonish. And if you, this is number 27. If you glance through the first 26 issues, it's a lot of like alien monsters and sci-fi mm-hmm. stuff, one and done stories. Um, But now the fantastic four has happened and is a hit. So but very we're, recently. But very recently. And so we're going to move into a phase now where Marvel starts becoming a superhero place. But mm-hmm. it's not quite happened yet. This issue that we're going to go over is a, just another one of the horror slash fantasy stories starring a character named Hank Pym who has an encounter with some ants. We'll talk about that in a second. And then issue, what is it, 35? 35. So, so a year eight later, months later. Eight months later. Eight months later, they – return to this character and at that point they really do solidify him into a superhero incarnation called ant-man and then that is like the birth of ant-man the superhero and then issue 44 is the introduction of the wasp which we'll go over and 
Then, so Ant-Man happens here, Tales to Astonish 27, sort of, the first half of his origin, really. But he's he's considered to be the second superhero of the Marvel Universe for this reason. So the, the Fantastic Four are the first superhero. They're the birth of the modern Marvel Universe. And then Ant-Man is like number two because of this issue. Mm-hmm. Then Spider-Man is next, and then Hulk. Um, Spider-Man and Hulk are pretty close to each other. I think it's Thor is right there too. Thor is like the same month as Spider-Man, I think. Okay, so Spider-Man, Hulk, and Thor are going to come in pretty quick succession sort of next. But like Ant-Man, and I'm going to tell you, despite Paul Rudd's likability and Ant-Man's persistence throughout the Marvel Universe, at least in my lifetime, has never been regarded as a banner hero of the Marvel Universe. He's kind of a joke. Um, His powers are weird. These issues are weird. Uh, of course, he's been in so many stories at this point that there are times when he's used quite well and he's the character has changed a lot. But Ant- Ant-Man is a pretty common punchline in the Marvel Universe where it's like, oh, great, another Ant-Man sort of thing. Or, But um, this is this is the beginning of him, Hank Pym. And Hank Pym goes on to have like a million identities, right? He's Giant Man for a while and Goliath mm-hmm. and Yellow Jacket and – Yep, um, and, and just Hank Pym, Scientist Supreme. So, you know, he's got a really long and storied inter, uh, history and an intertwined uh, background in the Marvel Universe. But um, what an inauspicious beginning, I'll say. These two issues are nuts. And yeah, I love them. I also want to say before we even get into it, what was Stan and Insects, right? There, we got <laughs> Ant-Man and Spider-Man are two of the first three heroes. Two, two of the yeah. very early, maybe not first three, but two of the very early Marvel heroes are Ant-Man and Spider-Man, both really creepy and weird powers. Ant-Man's I'm super to find, creepy. I'm trying to find the uh, uh, the release orders for these comics. I had it at one point. I'm just trying to find. There's a good website for this. Um, what, what I'll just say for the listeners before we dive into this, it, it's a little it's a little shaky, but pretty soon it gets established that Hank Pym is a scientist who has the ability to shrink down to ant size and then grow back to normal and also has a has created a device that lets him communicate with ants. So his power is to shrink and then also to talk to ants. And even for Marvel Comics, those are some really unwieldy powers. Like you got to go for a long walk to make those powers useful, but they do it for many, many stories uh, Jack Kirby is the co-creator. He draws this issue. And so the art is really fun and good because Jack Kirby is just a dynamic artist. Kevin's okay. got something. I got it now. So Fantastic Four came out in November of 1961. Right. These might be, I don't know if these are cover dates or release dates, but it doesn't matter. Tales to Astonish, the one we're going to cover right now, issue 27, came out January 62. So two months later. Okay. But it's not a superhero. It's not really a superhero story. The the uh, 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 Missing Fantasy is August sixty two. I'm sorry, what? Amazing Fantasy fifteen isn't that August nineteen sixty? That is July sixty two, according to what I'm looking at right okay, now. Okay, sound okay. Which beats this Ant Man story, but also, and then August. Uh, uh, oh no, uh, uh, that was a that was issue fourteen. I don't know why that's listed. Yes. Uh, uh, Amazing Fantasy 15 is August 62. Journey to Mystery is also August 62. So Thor and Spider-Man Thor and Spidey are the same, are the time. same month. Okay. Then we have the Hulk. Then we have the real Ant-Man. 
then we have Doctor Strange. Then we have uh, uh, ch- ch- what book is Iron Man in? Uh, suspense. Okay, no, so that's strange. Gosh, I should. I'm really embarrassed. No, no, that strange I is Strange Tales. Uh, Journey into Mystery. No, that's Thor. <laughs> what is Iron Man? Uh, Gosh, Tales of Suspense. Are... Tales of Suspense, and that is not until that is way later. Okay. Uh, anyway, so, and Hulk is where's Hulk? Did I mention Hulk? You said he was after Thor and Spidey, but you didn't say when. I think it's like November. Hulk 62? is before Spider Man. Hulk one came out in uh, May sixty two. Okay, all right, glad we got that right. So, 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 Fantastic Four, Fake Ant Man, Hulk, Spidey and Thor, Spidey and Thor, Real Ant Man. Okay, but anyway. Ant Man is credited as the number two hero. Like that's anecdotally what he's referred to. Hey, as. And canal- can- uh, uh, canonically, canonically, canonically. How do you say that? Canonically, canonically. Thank you canonically as well because the the second appearance of ant-man directly refers to this story oh yeah the, yeah it's not like they're just sort of like oh it's the same because there are stories of like an uh old marvel comics uh, uh where uh dr strange or a character named dr strange is mentioned or a thor comes up but they are not connected to the thors and dr Strange's. right like there is a thor alien creature earlier in tales to astonish thor with two r's right and they're just and there was a hulk uh, right, a white furry Hulk. Yeah, but he's not this Hulk, and so it's like. The, the, but this is the this is him. This is the guy who would become. This him. is Hank Pym. This story is connected to the later Hank Pym superhero story, so this is him. Okay, so let's get into it. It's just it's crazy that they decided to like retroactively make this a superhero origin. So this is Tales to Astonish issue twenty seven. It is a story of Hank Pym, arrogant scientist who wants to do something that. That is important to him and will change mankind forever. And then a shrinking solution and almost gets trapped in an anthill for the rest of That's his right. life. That's right. Yeah. This also uh, precedes uh, Ray Palmer, the Atom. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, it does sort of feel like shrinking guy is something that's kind of in the public domain, right? Like the Incredible Shrinking Man came out before this, the movie. Yeah. I mean, shrinking is a thing. Uh, Also, it's just funny how many of these early Marvel things are just scientists. It's like guys in lab coats are are the superheroes of the world. Yeah, I mean, the Flash was a scientist, the the second Flash, Barry Allen, but like Green Lantern wasn't. Certainly Superman and Batman weren't. Wonder Woman wasn't. Bruce Banner is. Hank Pym is. Reed Richards is. Spider-Man is a science fan Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or like a student, science student. Yeah. So we got a lot of science geeks. Yeah. A lot of lab coats. Um, anyway, Hank Pym seems like a villain in this story. Right. He has – he's like – he's like he's like a ambitious guy driven by dreams of like fame or success yeah. or something. He's like one hair removed from like a mad scientist. Like the first panel of him, he looks villainous. Yeah, we're looking up at him. He's, he's colored red. He goes, it works. I've done it. And it's like wide-eyed – Crazy yeah. looking scientist. And but he what he's done shrunk is shrunk a chair. Shrunk a chair, which is not that evil. I reduced evil, the chair to doll evil. size. The reveal of the chair is like hilarious. That like yeah. that's what he did. Yeah. And then he makes the chair grow and he says, This is the greatest triumph I have ever known. I mean, it looks like a comedy sketch right here. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, shrinking and growing things is impressive, but it oh, also sure. seems like the moment doesn't feel that impressive. Um, 
then we see him meeting with a a, a panel of scientists, and they're yeah, this all is saying a flashback to before he invented his shrinking ray, and there's a panel of bearded uh, men mocking him. Yeah. Bah, you're always wasting your time with your ridiculous theories, but they never work. You should stick to practical projects. Hank Penn's response, no, I'll only work <laughs> on things that appeal to my imagination, like my latest invention. Oh, what's that? I won't tell you yet. <laughs> yeah, but it's but it's shrinking. And yeah, I don't know if it's an invention either. Invention makes it seem like a machine. A device, yeah, yeah, right, right. It's a discovery. Anyway. His plan is to make a shrinking ray so that people can like ship things easier and more armies can fit on a single plane. And I guess like you could make doll furniture. Yes. Uh, and so we, you know, he has shrunk the chair and then he like, it, it, and in the tradition of all Marvel scientists, immediately goes to human trials on yeah. himself, which he does by like just pouring a little bit of liquid on his forearm. <laughs> That's a very powerful sermon. Yeah. Just like it doesn't topical just application. His forearm. Yeah. It shrinks his whole body and his clothing. Um, he shrinks down and then his first thing he says, how will I ever get back to normal? I left the antidote on the window ledge. I could yeah. never reach it now. And I'm like, you deserve to die. Yeah. He leaps off his window ledge and says that <laughs> that's as he's leaping. <laughs> that is a like, think about it. Like you climbed up onto the window ledge before you made that decision. The peer review of this study is going to, going to rip him to shreds. Uh, but he jumps down into his lawn, I guess, and there's an ant hill, and all the ants start attacking him. Um, and so he does a very smart thing, Will. Yeah, he runs. He runs into the ant hill. He runs into the ant hill and then falls down like a crevice. So he falls really deep into the ant hill, yeah. uh, into a pit of honey. Now, Kevin, before mm -hmm. I read these issues, I did not associate ants with honey, but the ants in Ant Man comics are lousy with honey. Yeah, we, there's a couple mentions of it. So I looked this up because I was curious if ants actually, if there are ants that make honey. Yeah. Yes. There's something called honey ants. Uh -huh. But what these honey ants do is they eat a ton of whatever and make honey in their bellies. And okay. it, they store it in their bellies. They never spit it out. They don't store it like in a hive. And then when another ant is hungry, it like strokes the antennas of that ant and, it's, and it spits out its honey for that other ant to eat. Okay. So there are ants like that. He falls into a pool of honey. This is like an Uncle Scrooge like ant place yeah. that has a has a honey vat. There's a honey. Th bin. This is not a thing that ants do for sure. But uh, okay, in this universe, ants love honey. Uh, Hank Pym yeah. almost drowns in it. Um, there is one friendly ant that like saves him from the honey pit, and it does that for reasons that uh, are never told to us. Are never told, but it's just a benevolent ant. There also just coincidentally is a match standing up straight in this anthill. <laughs> yep. That's never explained. Right. He hurls a rock at it. And so sort of like a big piece of flint, it ignites the match, right. which drives away the other ants and then gives him time to lasso up out of the place. Right. Where does um, he get the lasso? Uh, long enough for me to use this makeshift lasso. It's makeshift, Kevin. <laughs> made of what shift of made shift of what i have to assume he grabbed the honey and like compressed the honey into like <laughs> hemp or something and like and quickly made a rope um i feel like jack kirby characters always have lassos yeah yeah and so he ca crawls out of the crevice now there's this an is evil... also the origin of montana this is <laughs> yep he made this a is... lasso out of honey the Marble Bullpen, they they grew up reading like Tom Sawyer stories and Lasso was like just like a powerful weapon. 
Uh, uh, yeah, so he, he climbs up the le- he climbs up the ledge and finds another evil ant waiting for him. Yeah, that wants to fight him, but he reveals this is my favorite. This is my favorite part of the whole story. So the ant grabs him in its mandibles, and Hank Pym says, "Strong, too strong for me, but I have one advantage: a human brain." which has learned the art of judo and then hurls the ant into the pit. I love that he has learned the art of judo. The scientist at some point became a master judo fighter and uses it to fight this ant. I love it. I lo- it made me laugh. I laughed out loud at that one. I, I got I went to I got to full smile. I might not have laughed. Oh, so I he- laughed out loud. I was like that is I was like this story is ridiculous. So now he's out of the anthill and he's come back to his lab and he can see the serum dangling off the windowsill, taunting him, which also means he just left this amazing potion just hanging out the window. On its side in the windowsill. Terrible. It's not like in a rack. Put it in a little test tube rack. He's a terrible scientist. And he um, hasn't even invented Ultron, the, the murderous robot yet. He becomes a worse scientist in many ways. Um, And so... The benevolent ant – oh, so a lot of the ants are like kind of surrounding him, but then the benevolent ant comes out front and saves him and carries him up the wall to his window ledge where he can get to uh, the, the enlarging serum, and he goes back to normal. Yeah. And he's saved, and he pours the potions down the drain because he's learned his lesson, and he's – now he is going to take the panel of bearded scientists' advice and stick to practical projects. And the only change is he refuses to ever step on an anthill because somewhere is the ant that saved his life. Which is very nice. Kind of a nice story. Yeah. It's not It's not a bad one of these like sort of no. quick tales from the crypty kind of horror story. But there's not – you would not read this and go like, they should make this guy a superhero. I know. You read Amazing Fantasy 15 with Spider-Man. You're like, you got to get more Spider-Man. I doubt anybody was like, give me more Hank Pym. Did you read the did you get the backup ones? Yeah. Did you read them? I did. Like Mirror Mirror on the Wall and stuff. Mirror Mirror on the Wall and the Talking Horse one? Yes. The Talking Horse one is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so one backup story is Mirror Mirror on the Wall where someone buys a mirror that he is told was owned by a sorcerer. Yeah. And then he gives it to his wife and it immediately Possesses puts her him. under a spell and he's confused what's happening for a long time. Um but then the mirror breaks and she's cured. So it's kind of a nothing story. It's some good art. Uh, but then the next story is called The Talking Horse, where a jockey who's like a real jerk is right. going to be fired. And he's also in debt. But a horse tells him. <laughs> a horse goes, hey, I'm going to win the next race. <laughs> Even so if he, he can talk, how does he know? He doesn't know. Yeah. So he leverages all his money to bet. Uh, on this horse, and the horse loses by a lot. And the horse is like, I thought I, I, thought I would win. <laughs> like, I thought at first maybe the horse was tricking him. <laughs> the horse was just wrong. <laughs> it reminded me of your friend Rob, our friend Rob. I thought I could eat it all. Oh, the speed eater bit. Yeah. When he would, yeah, our friend Rob Lathan, truly one of the funniest people we've ever known, would do a bit in New York comedy shows. <laughs> Where he would bring a table full of food on stage, piles of, of food. food, like cereal boxes, a gallon of milk, ch- cheese and crackers, uh, sandwiches, and they'd be yeah. like, "I'm gonna eat all this food in sixty seconds." Yeah, and then a cl- and then a timer would start, and he would he eat would, like three bites. As, yeah, and then time would be up, and he'd be like, "Ugh, didn't have enough time. There's too much food." <laughs> yeah. 
It's very funny. That's what this made me think of because the horse just goes, oh, I thought I would win. I thought I was going to be faster than those guys. I'm sorry. I thought I could run faster than those other horses. I guess I was wrong. Um, And our man gets thrown into an insane asylum, I think, or maybe just like I think they're coming for his deaths. Yeah. yeah, he gets beat up because he owes people money. And then there's another story Dead by Stanley and Steve Ditko, Dead Planet, where these aliens are taking over all the different planets. But the, there's a line in it where one of the they send one alien to a planet because one alien is enough to conquer an entire planet. And okay. if any alien ever loses, they will all give up and go home. <laughs> These are, for some reason, hard, fast rules. But he lands on this planet and he can't find anything to fight. And he says to himself, uh, I cannot remain here alone. We Comax can defeat anyone, anything. But the one enemy we have never fought is loneliness. <laughs> Loved it. Uh, and it turns out there was life on that planet, Kev. The rocks that he was sitting on were actually alive. Yeah. It's a real uh, everything, everywhere, all at once moment. Steve did go created. Everything, yeah. everywhere. Why didn't that once. guy, why didn't Comac become a superhero? Comac's a way better, a way better pitch for an ongoing <laughs> series than Hank Pym. The talking, the talking horse. horse is better. <laughs> is better I'll see yeah. more talking horse. Um, so... Eight months later, Tales to Astonish, 35, the return of the Ant-Man. Really the beginning of the Ant-Man, but it, it is the return. It's the return of Hank Pym. Yes. And so, you know, we do a little recap of the issue we just talked about, and it is revealed that he did not pour the things down the drain. He just stored them in a safe until mankind was ready for their power. Well, he he destroyed his potions, but then he remade them. <laughs> Because it's not like he does not to make them and then put those new ones in a safe. Okay. I mean, that's who cares? That's okay. Very and, arbitrary, but that is what happens. And then also because of his encounter in the anthill, he becomes fascinated with ants and he starts studying ants. That's right. I would say obsessed. Yeah. And he's just learning about them. And we get a little bit of like Marvel Comics summary of facts about ants. Mm-hmm. He makes a helmet that would let him communicate with ants. He, has, yep. he can't test it, but he it's going, you know, he thinks it'll work. <laughs> In a costume, which will keep him from uh, uh, ant bites. So he can shrink back down and talk to these guys. Uh, meanwhile, Kevin, the bad guys emerge, and the bad guys are the commies. Yeah. Ugh. And I think it's Nikita Khrushchev himself is shown in panel four of page uh, three. Yeah, he's made a cameo in the Hulk already at this point as a portrait, but now he's back. Yeah, he's here for real. He's smoking, so you know he's bad. Yeah. Hank Pym has been hired to create an anti-radiation serum. Which he does. No, no, a gas. A gas to make people immune to radio radio radioactivity, and the Russians want this. Um, the and Soviets. So he, and so he's able to do it. And then the Soviet agents burst into his lab and hold him and his team or threaten to hold, you know, they, they threaten him and his team. Give us the secrets that you discovered. And um, Hank Pym says, I'll never tell you. And they they lock them all up in cells and they wait, I guess. They're searching his place for the for the um, formula because only Hank Pym knows the whole formula. But all the scientists know like a piece of it, but it's written down, I guess. So they're searching for like so they can figure out how to do it on their own. So and they, he goes into his office and puts on his Ant-Man costume. And takes the shrinking serum 
also holds on to the enlarging serum this time. Yes. And shrinks down. It and still works by just pouring it on your sleeve. <laughs> um, this is a pretty fun story. I, it's crazy and it's kind of fun. Like we have a lot of Jack Kirby just like crazy mm-hmm. visual use of the powers. Like the first thing he does before he shrinks himself is he stretches a big rubber band across an ashtray. Then mm-hmm. he shrinks himself down and he uses that as like a big slingshot to fling himself up to the window, which he seems like- inefficient and unreliable, but it looks cool. And he dangles like a thread outside the window, like a thin, thin thread. Um, it doesn't make him seem like a good superhero because he needs to prep too much. He needs tons of props. Yeah. He'd be a great magician. <laughs> but it doesn't seem like you could like just drop this guy anywhere and have him be effective because he needs to set everything up first. I mean, the fact of the matter is the Wasp, who we haven't met yet, is also a way better superhero than Ant-Man. Way better. Right out of the gate. Her powers are so much more useful. Yeah. Um. Okay, but he goes back to the ant hill, and now he can communicate with the ants, um, which he mostly does. But one of the ants is such a huge alpha that it challenges him anyway. And not only is Hank Pym a judo master, Mm -hmm. now it is revealed that he has retained his full-sized strength in his body so he can easily handle the ant. Um, So he defeats the alpha worker ant. and then communicates with all of the other ants to kind of come help me defeat the commies who are holding my lab hostage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's nice beat- that he still has his judo skills because he still at some point goes, one judo blow is all it takes to stop him. So we're sticking to the continuity that he knows judo. He's, he knows judo because of his human brain. Yeah, um, yeah. He and the ants that he's rallied up to help him start heading to the lab, but they run into a giant beetle. Um, insect beetle, not Liverpool beetle. Um, and, but not, he, uh, and not uh, Abner Jenkins beetle? Nope, just a generic beetle. But he uses his full-size man strength to dig a hole in the ground super fast uh, and yeah. tricks the beetle into falling into it. Yeah. I mean, he spends so much time dealing with a beetle. <laughs> Does not make him seem like an Avenger. Yeah, he doesn't seem event- or he's going to be able to deal with six commie <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. guys with Tommy guns. But the ants all carry Hank up the wall to his lab, and this is a pretty gruesome rescue that happens. This is a kind of horrific, I think. Okay. Um, Hank starts to untie his fellow scientists. Yeah. Uh, whenever he falls off something, the ants form a big cushion under him to cushion his blow. This is something that happens several times in these two issues. Yeah, yeah. Whenever he has to fall, the ants just make a big, like, ant airbag yeah they're nice about that um the ants under his command swarm all over the feet of one of the agents and bite his ankles and it makes him yell and drop his gun yep. then they go into his gun and fill it with honey now that is more plausible than the honey pool but not they really have it in their stomachs but they wouldn't i mean these ants that are filled with honey from my reading aren't really moving around they're just sitting in the hive full with honey to feed people yeah well uh, like the pictures of them, they're like just round balls with heads. Wow. It's weird. Anyway, um, doesn't matter. So uh, the, the ants swarm filled, the all gun, over the, the scientists. Ant honey. Yeah, the guns are jammed with ant honey. The commies are the are suddenly have ants swarming all over them. Uh, so they all drop their guns and they're scared. The scientists have been untied by Hank Pym, and they say 
I don't know what's going on, but somehow my ropes got loose. Mine too. And since those murderous reds are without guns now, let's get them. Yeah. All the scientists attack. I'll say this about the scientists. They're pretty broad-shouldered types, man. Jack Kirby doesn't draw any weaklings. No, no. These are Reed Richards scientists. Like, watch out. Everybody's a linebacker in the in the Jack Kirby uh, universe. Um, and so then Hank Pym, mission accomplished, rides an ant back to his uh, office where he um, – well, I guess he didn't have the enlarging. Yeah, I guess serum he didn't. Him. Yeah, he has to get a serum off the wall and pour it into a dish and sit in it for a moment, <laughs> and then grows back. I mean, it's these powers are not good, right? <laughs> you have to have a big test tube. You need an ant to carry you over to it. You need to preset all your things to get out of the room. In this issue, nobody can hear him when he talks. That changes in the in the next issue, but like yeah. right now, nobody can hear him. He doesn't. Yeah. I guess he's man-sized strength, but in a little body. And he's only one man. Like, he's not stronger than a man. Right. He he can't seem to, like, fight anybody. <laughs> I mean, I would not pick this guy to be the guy, right? <laughs> yeah. The final panel, he thinks to himself, will I ever be forced to become the Ant-Man again? And the caption box says, yes. <laughs> yes, Henry Pym, you will. <laughs> that also made me laugh. Um, it's It's great. Like basically, Stanley's like, this guy's gonna be a superhero unless, unless I can't force it down people's throats. <laughs> and you know that, he was able to do it. When I read um, Marvel: The Untold Story recently, there's something when Stan first went to Hollywood in the '70s and was like pitching movies. One of the ones he was pitching was Ant Man. He's like, we got to do an Ant Man movie. <laughs> he loved Ant Man. Maybe I mean, technologically speaking, I guess it's doable. Yeah, that might have been why. The backups Gosh. in this aren't quite as funny. Um, there's like a guy who goes into an alternate dimension and becomes like, oh, like a paper dude, like a two dimensional dude. It's a villain who's hi hiding and he finds yeah. a supernatural closet, which he thinks is the, the answer to his prayers, but it just traps him as a two dimensional paper dude. Yeah. And then there's another one where like a guy comes back from space with a plant and the plant is like telling everyone's like, no, I'm the guy, not the, he switched, the plant switched with me. Um, and like through a very convoluted manners, they eventually get them to switch back. And then the plant's like, oh, yeah, you're right. I was a plant. I, I, we did switch. I just forgot when I got in the human body. Like, it wasn't a malevolent plant. It just like accidentally did it and forgot. <laughs> Weird story. Very strange. Anyway. Kind of, kind of fun, though. Kind of fun, Let, yes. Let's take a break and then let's do the wasp. Okay. And we're back. We're covering so much Ant-Man, more than I thought we would. <laughs> you can't escape Ant-Man. Um, so this is Tales to Astonish 44. It's the first appearance of the Wasp, Janet Van Dyne. I wish I could say we're going to go quickly through this, but this one's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, you can't rush an Ant-Man story. <laughs> Ant-Man and the Wasp versus this... the creature from Cosmos. There is so much that happens in this issue. So like it's it is convoluted in a way that is unnecessary. This reminds me of Squadron Supreme. Like, remember how I'd say, like, why do you need like to go through all these motions to get to where you needed to be? There's simpler yeah. ways to do this. I would say the same thing about this, but because this is so much sillier, I sort of love it for its stupidness. This is basically how the wasp comes to be. 
It also tells the story of Hank Pym's wife, which I'm not sure if she was introduced before this issue. It seems she like she's not. being introduced in this yeah. issue. Okay. She um, was not, and also she's not necessary to this story. Uh, no, um, I, I don't think so. Uh, the script, the dialogue here is not Stanley. It's done by a guy named H. E. Huntley, and I don't know who that is, but I'm going to say that uh, Huntley makes me miss Stan's dialogue. <laughs> like. Yeah. Huntley is wordier and more purple and kind of more self-serious and also not as good. Like it just doesn't make, I can see why Stan was like, I got to do the dialogue for all these issues. If this is the alternative. He kept trying new people and he kept going like, Nope, I got to do it until he met Roy Thomas. And when I read this, I'm like, he's right. (laughs) Like this guy just, there's like huge mistakes in the dialogue that seem unnecessary. Um, Okay. But it's called the creature from cosmos because it's the introduction of the wasp. And also there's an alien, enemy called cosmos that's right so we start with hank pym returning to full size having finished some adventure and he reminisces about his wife that we've never heard of before uh and his wife is maria and she was like a she and her father were were uh, hungarian rebels like rebels yeah and they had been they were kicked out of Hungary for basically being pro democracy, anti communist. So now so she's they go to married Hungary for their honeymoon. <laughs> so yeah, so she wants to go back to Hungary now that she's an American wife. She feels like she's protected, and she can go back to Hungary just to visit her childhood. As soon as she gets there, she's immediately arrested by some communist government agents and killed. Yeah, it's and the, really funny that there's like the line Hank Pym says is. Uh, Perhaps you're right. No one will know you were once Maria Trovaya now that you were Mrs. Henry Pym. But suddenly, you will not make us sound Maria Trovaya. <laughs> <laughs> like that moment. There's also like, here's what I was saying about the dialogue. Um, at the beginning of the flashback, when we see Hank Pym and Maria on their honeymoon, mm-hmm. um, you know, Hank's like, you think we should have come to Hungary? Like you and your father used to be political prisoners here. She goes, hush, my love. We escaped to your wonderful country. They will not know. They will not know me now that I am the wife of an American. I am Miss Pym now, not Maria Travoya. And then the next dialogue is them in a plane. And she's saying, my father is safe in America, working for your wonderful country. It's like wonderful country, two panels in a row is something yeah. Stan wouldn't do. And also the whole phrase, like, nobody would know that I'm Maria Tro- Troy Travoya. Travoya. Yeah. Now that I'm Hank Pym is the same phrase that Hank Pym says four panels later. Like, it's just weirdly clunky dialogue in a way that I'm not used to. I'm used well, to Stan Lee clunkiness. Yeah. Even the panel before the flashback where that shows Hank Pym in his Ant-Man costume thinking of his wife. And he says out loud, hello, Mrs. Pym, my beautiful Maria, my lovely wife. And the dream of her says... Hello, Mr. Pym, my handsome husband. It's like, that's weird too. That's weird, right? Like, I think this was a drawing of him remembering his wife, not talking to her. Yeah, that's a very strange convention. And then also in the flashback, right before she gets like arrested by the Soviet agents, um, you know, Hank Pym is saying something like, I just want to spend every moment of my life with you. And then she says this, which ends up being called back later, but it's confusing. Ha, you are becoming a lazy husband. My father always used to say, go to the ants, thou dullard. But you are not an industrious ant, are you, my love? And I was like parsing that balloon. I'm like, okay, so wait a minute. She's calling him lazy, but that's just teasing him because he's saying, I want to spend all every moment with you. Right. So, okay, she's teasing him that he's trying to avoid work. 
But then it's like my father always used to say, go to the ants, thou dullard. So I guess that that was what the dad said to scold you to work harder. Yeah, I guess. But then she says, but you are not an industrious ant, are you, my love? And what does that mean? So he's not a hard worker? That's still part of the teasing? Yeah, they're trying to to give us another reason why he would want to become Ant-Man, other than like him accidentally falling into the ant hill. Um, It's just because his wife's dad had this saying about ants. Yeah. So they're really shoehorning it in here, right? Like that's a plot point. But then later when he remembers this, he remembers it wrong. Like what she says here is she goes, my father always used to say, go to the ants, thou dullard. And then later in the story, when we had go to the ants, thou sluggard, he goes, I remember what she said, go to the ants, thou sluggard. And I'm like, you couldn't go one page back and just see what you wrote. I mean, if I was Stan Lee, I'd be like, look, look, guys, I got to do the dialogue. You're doing a terrible job. What's this? Hello, my husband. Like, had nobody written stories in the 1960s? Was it just like so early in like TV and movie history that no one knew how to write dialogue? Four people were writing at the same time. (laughs) Like, you do page two. I'll do page three. And Um, also, we don't need her for the story. She means nothing to the story. She gets kidnapped. We also spend like a page of him trying to track her down and then saying, well, I can't do it. I don't even I don't even know where to look. <laughs> like he goes off to find her and then he comes back the next day. I couldn't find them. I didn't know where to look. <laughs> That's some talking horse talk, right? There. That is that is the horse killing game. Not fast. I just love it. It's like, I'll go save her and leaves the police station, comes back the next day and go, I don't know what to do. Well, I guess I, don't I guess know how to the, find these guys. I guess the point of this chapter is it instills in him a sense of like justice like he needs to fight back against the evil of the world sort of instead of just a scientist who wants to get famous like now he has been wronged by the commies of the world sort of it's so complicated then he immediately then he remembers his origin again but then starts thinking about how he wishes he had a partner yeah he goes uh who could i ever trust with the secrets of the ant-man know my true identity i don't know but perhaps someday i shall find the one and when i do i must be ready work yes i will work Find the way to equip that partner to aid me in my work. Even that's badly worded. Yeah. Like, just like. Um, uh, then he it comes up with like the way to make the wasp basically in one panel. But then he's visited by a scientist. I love this sequence too. <laughs> a scientist shows up and he, he, like there's a knock at the door. Hank Pym answers and the guy just goes, ah, you are Henry Pym. I am Dr. Vernon Van Dyne. You are quite famous, Mr. Pym. So I've come to visit for we're both scientists and perhaps have much in common. Comes to his door. Hank Pym yes. responds, yeah, yeah, of course. Come in. And he goes, this is my daughter, Janet. How do you do, Dr. Pym? Wow, she looks somewhat like Maria, but she's much younger, not much more than a child, which seems unnecessary. Yeah, very unnecessary. Why to make her so young? Then this guy basically goes, hey, we should work together. And Hank Pym goes, well, I work in a different field. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, I guess you're right. And leaves. He works, also, he, I love that because so often in comic books, scientists who are good at one thing are good at all science. Yeah. So it is nice that he's like, that's not my field. But it's also, why did that guy come over? You said I was quite famous. So didn't you know this about me before yeah. you got here? Um, so, and Hank and Janet are attracted to each other. He's worried she's too young. She don't care about that. She doesn't look young, though. No, and she also doesn't look that much like his wife. She doesn't look nothing like his wife. I thought there was going to be some reveal that it was like the wife's secret daughter or sister or something like that. She looks his age. This is not a Kitty Pryde uh, uh, Colossus thing. 
So the Janet Van Dyne's dad works on a ray. I don't know, to shoot into space to find aliens and it works. Yeah. And the alien cosmos travels down the ray and is now in the room with the scientist. And it's never explained, but to look at this alien means you are subdued killed. somehow. Okay, killed. So to, if you look at the scientist at the I'm sorry, at the alien creature, you die. And the and that is what the father does. He looks at the alien and he falls to his death, and Janet discovers her dad's dead body. And she does what anyone would do in this situation. She calls the last person she met, Henry Pym. <laughs> she goes, and, I must help. I must call somebody. But who? Oh, and, I don't know. Wait, Henry Pym. He's a scientist. And he rewards her trust by not believing her and hanging up. <laughs> That's right. But this then his Henry. like circuit board tells him there's something happening. And he's like, oh, it must have been true. Well, he has a crazy like news Google Glass Twitter helmet that like looks like something Galactus would wear. And that's what mm -hmm. he wears to check the news. And he doesn't believe her, but the news says that this guy does die. So now it's time to turn into Ant-Man. I think early. I think he should have waited to shrink down because it yeah, just walk, makes walk over where you're going. Take the train and then shrink down. Uh -huh. But instead, he has to like do this elaborate like catapult gun thing that rockets him over the city. He lands in a big pile of ants to cushion his fall. <laughs> That's right. I mean, this yeah, guy's this... powers are not useful. I mean, I know Jack Kirby likes non-traditional powers. We got a guy on a surfboard. Uh -huh. you know, we got like Steve Ditko making Montana with the rope. But Ant-Man is the worst of them all. I mean, at this point, they haven't even, as far as I know, given him like the pretty clear thing to like at least let him do very – variations on shr shrunken sizes he seems to be either ant sized or a human size there's no it. like in between right he can't become like half size for some reason <laughs> i mean once he becomes giant man his powers are so much more useful so yeah. he he catapults over to janet's place i guess he knows where it is mm -hmm. um that catapult is able to hurl an ant-sized man blocks and blocks i guess yeah unless the dude happened to be working down the block he verifies that that the man is dead. He does a cursory investigation. He figures out that it's an alien. Um, he overhears Janet saying this. Oh, no, wait. Yeah, she, no, they can talk to each other now. For some reason, yeah, they can talk man that, is now yeah. audible to full-size people. Maybe that was explained in one of the issues before this, or maybe it just happened. Either right. could be true in a Marvel comic. So Hank Pym, or sorry, Ant-Man, we don't know. She doesn't yet know that it's Hank Pym. Uh, Ant-Man confirms, yes, this man was killed by an alien. She goes, I loved my father. He was the finest man on earth. I never showed him how much I loved him. I thought it wasn't sophisticated. Now I'll never have the chance. But er, there is one thing I can do, avenge him. <laughs> and his thoughts, that is so like Maria. But I got to tell you, I did not see that in Maria in a yeah, flashback to her. There was no moment about Maria wanting vengeance. I will say it is he cool that the Wasp, who's she's a founding member of the Avengers, right? Yeah. It is cool that she says... There's one thing I can do, avenge him. I'm like, well, you are making a case why you are an Avenger. It's she one is of the a better Avenger than about. him by by leaps and bounds. <laughs> he tells her to call the FBI and then go back to Hank Pym's lab. And she goes, I do trust you, Ant-Man. I don't know why. Yeah, and um, there's this guy, Lee Kearns, who I guess is a recurring character in the Ant-Man story. That's the FBI agent that I guess he works with. Yeah, that seems like a previously established character. So uh, Hank Pym rides an ant back to his place, grows back to normal size in time for Janet to arrive, where he immediately tells her everything. Yeah, he says, I'm Ant-Man. Do you want to be my partner? And she goes, yes. 
goes, great, here's what you have to do. We're going to, I'm going to put you in this crazy contraption and suit and change Which your is a cellular low, structure. It's a, it's a, it's a low key Jack Kirby crazy. Oh yeah. But it's, it's crazy. It's a crazy machine. It's about a five on the Kirby crazy scale. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, It looks like a Dan Klaus sort of thing. Actually, it looks like something from like a velvet glove cast I mean, iron. The suit she's wearing in that machine is, I wouldn't want to put on. It's like a gimp costume. It's like some kind of like yeah. sleeve sleeveless sex <laughs> like uh, worker thing. Yeah, um, he explains that he's going to put like antennas and wings in her, and she's like, "Great, sounds wonderful." I'm going to make it so that when you shrink down, you'll have wings and antennas. She's like, "Oh, it sounds so unbelievable, so wonderful." Okay, uh, then there's an attack. Cosmos, the formic acid alien. Oh yeah, he's made of formic acid. That comes into play yeah, later. Yeah, it's important, I guess. Um. There are cool images when they shrink, like of like a pencil sharpener and scissors. Like they're just good drawings. Like Jack Kirby is good at drawing, even this sort of half-assed comic. And the the design is is not bad. I don't, I don't really mind Ant Man's costume. I mean, I know it looks wonky, but it, it's pretty like cool. It. And the wasp looks great. Like the wasp costume, I think is very cool. Yeah, I like both costumes. Um, so she's immediately on board. She shrinks down. It works. She grows wings and has antenna so much more useful than him. He has to like fling himself with a big rubber band. She can fly. <laughs> yep. She tells him she's falling in love with him. Well, He's of like, course, no, it's you're Marvel too comic. young. Mm -hmm. But then immediately thinks I got to be careful. I might fall in love with her. Right. That'd be the worst. So they uh, are flying over to where the military has uh, gathered to fight Cosmos, the formic acid alien that you're not allowed to look at. Mm -hmm. um, and Wasp is insecure that he thinks she's such a child. So she wants to show that she's a big, tough adult. So she attacks the alien by herself. Yeah. And then immediately flies back down. Uh, she doesn't have her blast yet, I guess. She doesn't have her Wasp sting. Yeah. Um, so now they they leave the battle. <laughs> that's, that's the, they leave the battle and go back to the lab. I guess now he's figured out that the alien is mm -hmm. formic acid, and he constructs some kind of chemical antidote to formic acid. Right now, Kevin, the way that they're going to administer this is so funny. They load shotgun shells, put the shells in guns. Now. Okay, just stay your human size and carry the guns and shoot at the alien. No. no. They shrink down and he orders a bunch of ants to carry the carry the guns. Yeah, imagine if you were walking down the city and you saw a shotgun being carried by ants down the block. Just a swarm of ants. So funny. Carrying a gun and a box of shells. <laughs> yeah, just load the gun. <laughs> Just carry it there. Even if you feel like you need to be Ant-Man to shoot it, shrink when you get there. <laughs> and so they get there successfully. Ant-Man pulls the trigger. He's not going to trust that to the ants. No. Um, maybe he needs his man-sized strength to be able to do that. And one shot of this formic acid antidote uh, disintegrates the alien and they've won. Yep. Wasp really doesn't help in the story. <laughs> no, but she's so much more powerful. And... Uh, uh, I don't know, and that and that, but I guess she'll help later. Uh, her costume's real cool with that little like coming to a point hat. Yeah, I, I love it. Really, uh, it looks like a Jamie Hernandez hero. Actually, I feel like Jamie Hernandez would draw heroes like this. I'm sure that's. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I've seen him draw Wasp. It seems right up his alley. Yeah, so um, that's the end of the story. And so now we have Ant Man and Wasp. Yeah, 
I mean, those stories were so fun to read. I don't think I'd want to read many more of them. That but last like, one's really fun, like with the flashback to the communist thing and all the weird dialogue. <laughs> I don't know. It's I enjoyed all three of them uh, almost as much. The Talking Horse may have been my highlight, unfortunately, but otherwise I really enjoyed it all. Yeah, it's not as good as Talking Horse. I mean, oh, imagine if he was an Avenger. He's not that fast horse. <laughs> he's confident. <laughs> I like his confidence, that horse. He'd be a good leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about Journey into Mystery, 83. Uh, yeah, so this is the introduction of Thor. Now, I am I wrong in saying this is the best issue that we're reading today, just in terms of like evaluating? Yeah, but I think I enjoyed the Ant Man stories a little more. Uh, the the art in this story is pretty this, great. The art is good. Um, the story is also a little weird and wonky. The story is no a little reasons. weird. So this is basically the introduction of the mighty Thor, and it's Donald Blake, a scientist who needs a cane, a doctor. Uh, sorry. A doctor, not a scientist, a medical doctor mm-hmm. who, uh, while on vacation in Norway, is trapped in a cave, finds a wooden cane, which when he strikes the ground, it turns into Thor's hammer and turns him into Thor. Yeah. And if he's separated from his hammer for more than 60 seconds, he turns back to Donald Blake. That's the situation of the original yeah. Thor. Yeah, that's right. They, and they also go to – well, we'll talk about it later. Yeah, so um, that, that's overall what happens here. We get introduced to that character. Mm-hmm. It's drawn by Jack Kirby. Um, yeah, so, char- so Thor originally was less a real god and more just like a guy who could become the legendary Thor. Who could like invoke the powers of Thor. Yeah. Um, and he was still Donald Blake. Like he had his Donald Blake memories and consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like at some point he becomes – he's actually Thor – who who remembers all of his history with yeah. Odin and Loki and which is a better more it's a that's a more rich character just to use this Norse god and then at some point they retroactively are like Odin punished Thor by yeah, yeah. making him be humble Donald Blake for a while to learn a lesson of humility before his memories were returned to him that happens that is retroactively yeah. put in place later but right um, now it's just Donald Blake can turn into Thor. Yeah. So it's we Donald Blake is on vacation in Norway. Yeah. And there are some aliens land and they look like a combination of the statues from Easter Island and the thing from the Fantastic right. Four. They are just scouting Earth to invade it. They kind of demonstrate their strength and powers to nobody, but us the reader get to see how strong they are. Yeah. They're Korg like as well from the uh Thor movies. Okay. And Donald Blake kind of spies them, um, and while he's spying on them, uh, he steps on a twig, and they chase him, and in running away, he falls, and... Even this was a little complicated, because, like, somebody else spies them, and then goes and tells somebody about it, and Donald Blake hears that, and then he goes to investigate, and then he runs away, and then he snaps the twig. It's like, you don't need that page and a half. Yeah, we don't need that Norwegian guy. He could have found them on his own, or he could be Norwegian. (laughs) (laughs) I, but, don't, I don't know. But he ends up yes, in, escaping he runs away from these aliens. In a cave. He hides in a cave and he's kind of trapped there because he's like fallen into it. He's lost his cane. And then this is also complicated. Or maybe I maybe I get this. It's a, a little complicated. A hidden room emerges. Like there's like a revolving wall that just kind of yeah. appears before him. And in that room, on a sort of stone altar like thing, is a wooden cane. But maybe it's kind of like it's one of those because he's worthy, it reveals itself to him, maybe. 
I guess it seems weird. He like leans back on a wall and then it like opens, opens between panels and he goes in and finds this st- and he needs a cane. So he picks up the stick. He tries to use it to pry open an exit from the back of the cave. He so tries he to use it like a, the stick to pry open a boulder. That's not going to work. Yeah. I mean, he's a doctor. He should, he should be smart enough to know. Uh, but he accidentally strikes the cane against the boulder, and there's a lightning bolt, and he turns into Thor. And these panels where he transforms into Thor, those are burned in my brain. Like those are iconic panels. You know, where the fourth the the fourth panel where he's finally Thor, I feel like was used in the animated stop motion the '60s cartoon. cartoon yeah. yeah, the '60s one where they just took Jack Kirby panels and like moved them across a background with a stick. Yeah, that one was definitely in there, and it looks great. Uh, here's the thing that gets retconned away. Written on the hammer is this big quote, whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. That doesn't stay. Doesn't it? I mean. The words don't that, stay. They, I think they are there sometimes. Oh, really? Yeah. That seems. I think in the movie, it's not, they're not written out, but like, that's what, isn't that what Odin whispers into the hammer? Okay. Okay, yeah, I guess you're right. I think they are written there. I think they're not always visible. I'm realizing now I think I've never seen Thor, the movie. It's pretty good. I've seen Ragnarok. I've seen Ragnarok, but I've never seen the first two Thors. You should see the first one. It's fun. It's Um, not great. It's fun, though. Okay, so Donald Blake has the power of Thor. He can easily free himself from the cave. We get a little bit of him playing with his powers. He sets the hammer down to rest, and that's when he accidentally turns back to Donald Blake, and he kind of realizes, oh, I need to be holding the hammer to stay Thor. Yes. Uh, then he plays with the hammer and he realizes he can throw it and it comes right back to him. He can throw it through a tree. He can summon the storms. Yeah, it's he, very – he gets into a very complicated how many times you hit the stick. The hammer does this. Two two hammer blows makes this happen. Three does this. It's complicated. It's, it's too much, but I do appreciate that Stan Lee comics tended to nail down the rules pretty clearly. Like yeah. as a kid, I did like that. I'd like rules, but I mean, like the hammer can make these things happen would be enough for me. But it's like by stamping the handle twice in the ground, I can create rain or storm, which will grow into a tornado. If I stamp three times, it stops. But if I should stamp it once, it's like, okay, dude. It is dumb. But when I was a kid, I would, that's the kind of thing that I would then play. You know, you get like a stick and you'd hit it on the ground three times and be like, no, I've done this or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I played video games. (laughs) Yeah. You were cool, but you know. I was out there with my hoop and my stick and my yeah, uh, just, just playing. Just banging it on the ground going, hey, yeah. I'm Donald Blake. So the aliens that we saw in the beginning are attacking and yeah. they're attacking with holograms of dragons and they have, quote unquote, atomic force fields. Yep. The army can't do anything against it. Donald Blake sees this happen, strikes his cane to the ground, turns into Thor and fights the aliens. And part three of the story is a pretty fun battle of Thor versus the aliens. Yeah, like, I mean, the it, art these is are some great terrific. Drawings. There's less to talk about in here because it's less stupid. Crazy. Yeah. Um, it's just like Thor kicking butt against these rock monsters. It is weird. Like, there's so many aliens in these old Marvel comics. Like, it isn't the coolest first Thor adventure. But no. from, my understanding is that Thor gets better in, like, 20, 30 issues. It takes okay. Thor a while before it, like, really becomes a great comic. Yeah. Um, So for, like, a comic that's still figuring itself out. This is pretty good. Fighting alien. He's got to fight something strong, right? Otherwise, what's the point of being Thor? Yeah, they've the the costume design is great. The power set is fun. 
The dynamic Jack Kirby art is terrific. And Joe Sinnott is inking, which also helps it look beautiful. Here's what I say. Cut out the, the Norwegian man. Okay. I like uh, that. Note. A little less cane tapping. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Add two or three more pages to this action sequence in the end, because it is only three pages. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He he repels this invasion in three pages. Maybe also cut down on some of the aliens practicing being strong. <laughs> Like all that stuff can be minimized <laughs> and put it and paste it into this end part. I mean, maybe originally there was a whole story of like a communist gargoyle soldier interfering. <laughs> Stan's like, let's just put in some alien power stuff. Yeah. We're missing Kruskav. Well, uh, do you see the misspelling of Thor here at the end? Uh, in the last panel? Yeah. No, I didn't. Mine I mean, shows mine shows this. Editor's note. I'm gonna show it to you. Thor with oh. two R's. I must I must be looking at a reprint where they corrected it. So in mine, and I don't know if this is like a famous thing. Oh, yeah, yours is correct. Mine written on the hammer. Editor's note, Thor, the mighty, the Thor, the mighty, the greatest new superhero of all time will appear regularly in Journey into Mystery. Reserve next month's issue at your news dealer. Now it's sure to be a sellout. But Thor has two R's. I don't know if it was printed that way originally or if this is just the mistake. But I did look and Thor with two R's is a creature earlier in Tales to Astonish. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if somebody just like screwed up because it was a pre-existing sort of proper noun used in Marvel Comics. That is really funny. Expect to do that whole issue and get it wrong on the last panel. <laughs> I mean, Thanks. it does make you realize like how did Marvel Comics work? <laughs> Like, there's so many crazy decisions being made. <laughs> you do understand where DC didn't think Marvel would last. And I know that they kept that opinion for like 20 years, which is yeah. far too long. But like, it, I think it's because of these early comics. They're like, it's these guys like, can't even, they can't remember the guy's name. <laughs> Superman's going to be more popular than Thor. <laughs> I mean, Superman is more popular than Thor, yeah. right? They're not wrong on that. Um and Batman's more popular than Thor. Yeah. But yeah, they underestimated Marvel. And it's completely understandable why. I mean, it looks like they're not even proofreading the books. Yeah. <laughs> Be like if if you're watching um, NBC, like during the Tay Day with like Cheers and and uh, Seinfeld or Friends yeah. or whatever. And then you switch to another channel and the episodes like seem like they were shot in like one take with mistakes <laughs> left in. And people were like, I prefer this. You're <laughs> like, what? Really? Oh, God, it's so funny. We're putting out this polished product and you're choosing this. I, uh, and there's two writers here, right? Like Stan's the plotter and then Larry Lieber did the dialogue. Is that true? I, I think. And then, of course, you know, Jack would be collaborating on the plot. It's not also. listed in the issue I've got. Because uh, they didn't always show credits early on. I think Lieber is the... I believe you. Dialogue assist or po po possibly the full scripter for this issue. Lair Lieber is better than H.E. Huntley, just from my one issue sample. H.E. Huntley might be, it probably is a pen name, but I wonder for who. Yeah, and also maybe he got that issue like the day before it had to go to the printers or something like that. I don't mean to throw him under the bus, but the, the result was not good. Um, well, that that's our, that's our first issue of Marvel first. It's pretty fun. I'm glad we're doing it. Yeah, they are really fun. Um, thanks, Steve Ditko, for recommending it. Yes, thank idea. you, Steve Ditko. Should we do a couple um, emails before we get out of here? Yeah, if you've got time. i got nothing but time. Um, just real quick, next week, 
We're going to yeah. do Iron Man and Doctor Strange. Okay. Tales of Suspense 39 and Strange Tales 110. I think that's like a, I think the Strange, Doctor Strange is like a four or five page story. So we might read a couple of Doctor Stranges, but we'll at least, we'll do we'll 110 see. and then see whatever. Okay. We'll see how it goes. Like it is like, I think it is less than, I think it is less than eight pages, I believe. Um, okay. That's next week. I'm excited. Um, yeah, let's do a couple emails. Okay. You want to plug our email? Yeah. If you want to email us, email us at screwitcomics at Gmail. Um, you can also tweet at us, screwitcomics. And we have an Instagram account, screwitcomics. You've missed the screwit insta push mm-hmm. where people take our, uh, posts from our Instagram account and put them into their stories, but you can still go to our Instagram account and, and, and you can a, still push our Instagram account. You actually still can push it, but you're not going to be officially part of the screwed Insta push. You're going to be doing it freelance on your own. You're not part of a movement. You're like Hank Pym's first wife, just a, a political prisoner acting without any support. Um, We've got a lot of good emails. Well, um, so we're not going to do them all. Good. Uh, we'll save some good ones for later. Um, I want to. This one just came in, but I want to read it because I think it's uh, interesting. Um, we also had one person, by the way, post on Instagram saying that they discovered us through the Insta push. Oh, great! So we've had one person that we know of <laughs> we've who gained came to us because of the Insta push. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, all Insta pushers. We gained a hundred followers on Instagram and one new listener. <laughs> hey, I'm happy with it. That's great. If we do that every year in like a hundred years, we'll be, well, let's yeah. not think about it, but we'll be in a better place. But uh, this one is from uh, Gary who came to us because of our Marvel by the month crossover. Okay. So that one episode crossover matched. Our <laughs> our screw it. Push. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um. Anyway, uh, this is from Gary. He goes, hi, guys. Just discovered, in quotes, you both on the 1963 podcast over on Marvel by the Month and started listening to your John Byrne FF series on Screw It, which I'm really enjoying. Except Mm. I believe in your second FF episode, Uh you mentioned something along the lines of Chris Claremont being the second most important Marvel writer behind Stan Lee, which shocked me. I think Claremont is a great writer. But his entire resume is his entire resume is pretty much X Men, and I'm baffled why you wouldn't consider Roy Thomas for that honorific. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Besides game changing runs on Avengers and X Men with Neil Adams, in writing just about every other Marvel book in the 60s and 70s, Roy also brought both Conan and Star Wars to Marvel. Mm, and while at times he ends up spending too much time in his own sandbox. Uh, his love for the Golden Age team books. He was Stan's chosen successor and the first editor-in-chief after him. Also, he still edits Alter Ego, a fanzine he co-founded 60 years ago, and still manages to pull up some great Marvel-oriented issues, including recent ones on Kirby, Ditko, and Lee over at Two Morrows. Those are magazines, Well, uh, uh, I'm looking forward to your Marvel First series. Uh, I'm retired now, but I dearly remember buying all those books, starting with Fantastic Four number one off the newsstand as they came out. I was mm-hmm. six to 15 years old during the Marvel Age of Comics, which was an amazing time to be a reader and fan. I have very fond memories of my twice weekly trips to our local newsstands and our little Easter Pennsylvania hometown. Uh, and then he plugs his blog, innocent-bystander.com, where he explores his own career in comics. Uh, we just got this email, so I have not clicked on this link yet. He's a small press creator. Okay. Uh, and so I'm going to check that out later. Uh, any response to that, Will? 
Well, it's a it's a good argument. Like Roy Thomas is a serious contender. Certainly, Roy Thomas is one of the most important Marvel employees ever. If you take all of the things he did from things like bringing in Star Wars, being an editor, handling the transition from Stan to the future, he's huge. Like Roy Thomas is a huge mm-hmm. figure in Marvel Comics. But I so and I we hadn't considered him. So I think we're right to be shamed for not even having him in the conversation. But I still think the X-Men surpasses it. Like the X-Men are just so you're right, quote unquote, just the X-Men. But that means like the most popular characters after the original 60s guys, massively a, a huge number of hugely popular characters. They kind of modernized comics in a lot of ways. Um, just the volume of issues that Claremont did. I as a writer, Claremont. I think is is more crucial than Roy Thomas as an editor. Roy Thomas is more important than Chris Claremont for sure. Who was not an editor? Who is not an editor? And maybe if you're just linking most important people to the history of Marvel Comics, Roy might be above Chris. But just writer, I, I'm I'm still thinking yeah, right. I would still say it's probably Claremont, and maybe that is just biased to our ages. Um, like when, when I was reading this email originally, I sort of had the same reaction you seem to be having while I was reading it, where he's like, oh, he had these great runs in Avengers and X-Men and things like that. And it's like, he did. He was the next Stan Lee. But a lot of those credits are like, oh, he's just doing the thing Stan Lee did. Yeah, he's just and, keeping and Maybe he's doing it. it better. Maybe he's doing it worse. But he's just he's not changing Marvel. He's just keeping Marvel on its path. Conan right. and Star Wars are good arguments, right? Because Star Wars and yes. Conan, if you've you've maybe read the Marvel saved the company, Untold Tales, yeah, uh, uh, the Untold Story of Marvel, um, saved the company. Like it kept Marvel afloat during lean times. Right, Star Wars and Conan were like huge, huge hits right when they needed it, and so there's a good argument there. Yeah, but I mean, X Men changed Marvel, and and comics, and comics, it pushed it forward in a way that. Frank Miller didn't do that. John Byrne didn't do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, maybe. And, and as much as Neil considered... Gaiman and Neil Gaiman is probably a better writer than Chris Claremont just in terms of wordsmithing and story construction. I mean, I'm sure that's true, but if you even make that argument, X-Men are still bigger than Sandman by far. Yeah. And more important, I don't think there'd be Sandman without X-Men. Right. I don't think, I mean, X-Men was like, it's Sandman, right? It it brought in f- more female readers. It, it it brought in more diversity. It brought in, I mean, even though he didn't create those characters, he made them hits. Or yeah. he half made them hits, him and the artists he worked with. Like Storm, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, these characters are hugely important to Marvel. Yeah. Um, where like, do you think Star Wars and Conan were important? They're not part of Marvel now anymore, or Star Wars is, Conan is, it's confusing, but... Uh, it's hard to think that those sort of licensed properties were more important than the X-Men. Yeah. Just the X-Men is like sort of saying like, well, the Wright brothers just invented airplanes. Yeah. They only did one invention airplanes. (laughs) Yeah. And be like, well, it's a big one. Right. Uh, So there's something to that. I mean, that's maybe not a a fair analogy, but like, I don't know. But I think it is you. I mean, it's, it's, I've also, I've made the argument. And episodes this guy hasn't listened to that. I was like, maybe Ditko is more important than Kirby, which I don't actually think, but I think it's worth considering just because Spider-Man was so instrumental in future Marvel comics. 
and and like how comics are just made today seem more inspired by Spider-Man than anything Kirby did. But he just that was just Spider-Man. Like Doctor Strange had no impact really on the Marvel universe. Right. But it's Spider-Man. The argument for Ditko is that the Spidey story structure was a template for so many other stories, mm-hmm. kind of the way Kirby's breakdown style was the yeah. template for composition. But uh, you, you still got to give it to Kirby. If, I think like if there's Kirby no ar- just did FF and Ditko just did Spider-Man, you'd say Ditko was more important. It's just but Kirby just did so many, like <laughs> so many things and of good quality. Right. So it's not like yeah. he just did a lot and it was OK. He did a lot of great stuff. Yeah, I mean, maybe if he just did, if he just did FF and Thor, you'd be like, ah, eh, it's not quite enough. But he did so much more. He did so many things. Hulk, Captain America, yeah. the Avengers, plus just breaking down so many issues. Yeah, on a quick deadline. I mean, he's he's Marvel. I mean, there's, but I I do like considering the idea that Ditko is more important than Kirby. And we and we did, and Roy Thomas was not in our conversation, and I think that that is a good point. And and I think we often say who else. I think we've said in the past when we've talked about that. Who else can you even think about? We had trouble coming up with any alternates, and and Roy is a and it's a this is a very very good alternate. I don't know if I'm convinced. We have a bias against the '70s because we don't know the '70s as well, That's so true. we forget those guys a lot, like all, everybody from that era: uh, Steve mm-hmm. Gerber, Steve Englehart, um, Roy Thomas, uh, Jerry Conway, Marv Wolfman, Len Wein. Like we overlook these really important writers a lot of times. Uh, let's see. Let's do. Uh, oh, let's do one more. This is just a cool story, um, and then we'll we'll call it there. Well, okay. This is from Derek. This is a Sinnetception. Uh, that's spelled like Joe Sinnet. Got it. Well, I get it. Okay. <laughs> Hello, milksops. I'm happy to hear you bring up Joe Sinnet now and again. We brought him up today. Uh, here's a funny story regarding Sinnet from when I was a kid in the 80s. One beautiful summer day, I was at my stepfather's mom's house while my mother was working. I usually brought a small box of comics with me to read anytime I was there. Suddenly, my aunt appeared with her new boyfriend whom I had never met before. He was going on about this and that, and I didn't really pay much attention to him. Suddenly, he took interest in what I was reading and started asking me questions about comics that I liked. Then out of nowhere, he goes into the story about how there was a comic artist named Joe Sinnott in the neighborhood he grew up in, and that Sinnott drew a poster for him years ago. The poster was The Thing fighting the Hulk, and he hung it on his wall proudly. Not knowing a lot about Sinnott at the time, I mostly chalked it up to him being a blowhard trying to sound cool. And pre-internet, I couldn't exactly fact-check it easily either. Fast forward to years later, I started a new job and was training with an older woman. We got talking about interest, and when I said comics, she parked up immediately and asked, do you know who Joe Sinnott is? Well, at this point, I did know who he was and said, yeah. And then – and this artist uh, – an, uh, an artist that this guy said drew him a poster when I was a kid, but I think he was full of shit. <laughs> she says, well, yes, but he's also my father. Oh. So he's now talking to Joe Sinnott's daughter. Wow. I was stunned, immediately realizing that if Sinnott lived in the area – the story from Mr. Blowhard may actually be true. <laughs> we talked about the poster some more, and she said she would ask her dad about it when she got the chance. A few days later, she caught up with me to let me know that her dad actually remembered drawing this poster and the kid whom it was for. The moral of our story is if you want to persuade people, blow hard. <laughs> uh, if you want to move mountains, use more teeth. Derek. I think that's a great story. Great story. Yeah, I love it. I love Just it. Just it seems like... um. Seemed like a great guy. 
And Kirby and Sinnott together made just some of the best art in superhero comics history. You know, um, I should you know what I should have mentioned at the top of our show? No. I listened to a podcast with Al Milgram. Okay. So I'm going to talk about that next episode. These, the uh, One of the great editors of Marvel Comics and editor, writers. Artist, writer. He kind of did everything. It was a really fun podcast. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug that other podcast. You want to cold open it week. or just do it next episode? We'll do it next. I'll, I'll, I'll probably need something to talk about at the top of next episode. Okay, we'll so. do it next episode. The Elmo. The look for, at the tease <laughs> for, the, for the next episode media segment. All right, cool. Um, well, thanks. We're way over time, so let's, let's get out of here. And uh, right. Kevin, uh, good job, Kevin. Yeah, that's a lot of Ant-Man. <laughs> And uh, we'll see you guys next episode. Bye. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics.